Welcome to the Extra Podcast. This is episode number 252. My name's Greg. I will be hosting this episode. This is going to go down as one of our best ever. I'm feeling good about it. We just spent about 15 minutes talking about what could we possibly talk about that we're talking about today. So this is, That's when you good. know it's going to be good. So sitting around the table with me, Pastor Jeff. Yes, you're I'm not, here. You're not feeling well today, No, I'm are not. You? No, so if you hear, if it, yeah, you can hear. He coughed voice. up part of his lung earlier today. Yeah, so if you hear any coughing in the middle, that would be me. I apologize in okay. advance. Well, thanks for joining us and for contaminating us with your illness. It's not a problem. In this closed room. Andy Steiger is here. I'm here, Greg. I'm feeling great. Good. Doing really well. Sounds good. And also here is Pastor Kyle. Hey, Greg. I'm glad that Andy is doing well. Yeah, I'm happy for Andy too. Poochie's here too. Oh, hey, Pooch. He gives Poochie. a wave. Hey, so a few weeks ago, we talked about this uh, voting thing that was happening for this research vessel out of where? Britain? Yeah. Was it England? We somewhere? talked about this actually like a couple episodes ago. Yeah. So the results are in. The, the Well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Don't get snippy with me. <laughs> hold on a second. We've got a really expensive boat here, and they put it out on the web, and they said, hey, let's just let's let the internet name this thing. Yes. <laughs> You guys, with, you guys with me? So they wanted yep. to name it. There's a bunch of options. They one, did. what were some of the options? Poochie. He doesn't know the one that won. Well, there's they, they they took submissions from people all over the place, and in typical British fashion, somebody somebody said they think <laughs> it should be called Bodie McBoakface. <laughs> I don't know what it is about that name, but it cracks it's me up best, every time. It's the best name ever, and that's what won. Actually, after all of this, yeah. The winner of the ship that is a $2 million vessel. 200 that's million. Three, $200 million. $300 million. State of the art. I don't, I just, Polar research ship. Bodie called Mc, Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> <laughs> that's clearly just not a good idea to ask the internet no, this no, is for one of those, anything serious. This is one of those examples where, yeah, you don't ask, don't ask people to give you the name. It's the same thing a few years ago. They had uh, the New Zealand uh, was coming up with a new national flag and they they made (laughs) ask people for submissions and some of them were pretty funny. Yeah. And then, of course, you put it up for votes and stuff. And so they people were voting for the really funny ones ahead of the other ones. So they they finally said, look, we can't take the dumb ones because this is our national flag. It's not going to happen. So they've chosen other ones. Did you guys hear about with Microsoft having these um, chat bots? And how popular they are, but as soon as they put them on the web, they were corrupted, <laughs> and the internet got these things to say just terrible stuff. <laughs> and terrible uh, stuff on the internet. I know, right? And so they had to take these things down, and now they're trying to like they didn't see that coming. <laughs> so I, 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 no kidding. Oh like, wow, you, they were going to do something malicious with them. I think that there's an overestimation <clears throat> of people's goodness. I really oh, do. Yeah. I think the the assumption of a lot of these people is, oh no, people are really good and they're t- genuine hearted and all that. No, actually, they're not. They if, like to make fun of things. And Bodie McBoatface is going to be the name <laughs> of your your boat now. If you doubt the depravity of man, you just haven't read enough comments on YouTube. Oh, you know, right. like honestly, just spend a little time on the web, you'll see. So we're in favor of Bodie McBoatface. Absolutely, I think it's amazing and we'd like. Uh, we're also going to rename the church. So any submissions that you'd like to. <laughs> You'd like to send in, that'd be great. Hey, here's something that's uh, we were talking about before we started recording. Um, two different uh, approaches taken by two different universities in the States regarding student protests. So 
One of them was uh, Ohio State, which happened just last week, where there was a sit-in and a protest happening by uh, some students inside the university building. And it was cut short when students were warned that they would be forcibly removed by police and arrested and possibly expelled if they didn't vacate the premises by 5 a.m. So basically what happened was these students were going against the, uh, the code of conduct that the school has. And in response to that, the administration says, look, if you're going to break the code of conduct, we're going to come in and force you out by, by arrest. And it's not going to go well. The great line from the administrator was, I, we're going to give you an opportunity to go to jail for your beliefs. Um, so a real hard stance from Ohio State against some student protesters compared to a not so hard stance taken at the University of Missouri. You, Jeff, you know more about that situation. Yeah, there's a little background to the Missouri one. The uh, the president of the university was in a, a motorcade at one point during a home during the homecoming, and there were a bunch of students who wanted to have uh, a word with him, and they they forcibly stopped his car. Uh, he did not entertain their discussion at that point, but instead the car kind of kept going and bumped into some students. Nobody was injured in it, but it was seen as being a him turning his back on him. Anyway, they, they raised a ruckus. The University of Missouri uh, football team ended up saying that they wouldn't play because unless the, the president was dismissed. He ended up actually, the president ended up re- resigning hmm. from the university over that and then over a number of other accusations, which were basically, you didn't say something when the Ferguson riots were going on. You got to think about that for a minute, though. Here's the University of Missouri, which has nothing to do with the Ferguson riots. Which, except for the fact that the Ferguson is in Missouri. So that's like the, the president of UBC having something to say about the fire at the Abbotsford, at the Abbotsford, you know, Ledgeview. Uh, Ledgeview golf course today. So, I mean, he just didn't say anything about it, but they wanted him to say something. And so this became a big flashpoint for there's, ra- you know, racial disharmony, which of course there is at uh, University of Missouri. And uh, a lot of the African-American students believe that they didn't have what they called a safe space. So they ended up creating, uh, at the University of Missouri, they ended up creating that safe space on public land right in the middle of the university by ringing it with a bunch of, like, like they just had a ring of uh, barricades. And the students who were having the sit-in were in the middle of the, right in the middle of the, the center of the university. But there were some students who were trying to document it by film and they would go in, but they were being threatened to be forcibly removed from that. You can actually go online. You can watch a very interesting um, interaction between a student who's trying to trying to video the the events and a, a professor who's actually ends up calling for more muscle to move him out of the place. So hmm. the whole thing blew up a little bit, and she ended pre- up losing her job. She over did. That. The, the, the the professor who said those line that line lost her job, but. Ultimately, the question became, well, the University of Missouri ended up capitulating to these student groups and their demands. And they had a list of, I think, 10 different demands for uh, required training uh, for every staff member on certain things. And anyway, many of the universities, it's not just the University of Missouri, but others followed suit. And they've also had to deal with student protesters who are claiming that the university is not a safe space for them. Uh, meaning the safe space is not that, that they, there's physical violence in any way, but they're just other opinions 
that, mm. that they don't have, right? Mm. So I, I go to university and I have a certain set of viewpoints, <laughs> but if someone says that they want to support Donald Trump, for example, and they write it in chalk on the in, on the on the uh, on one of the walls of the university campus, right? Mm. Then I feel like I've been my my safe space been invaded, and I'm you might that might sound what I just described might sound like an overstatement, but it's actually that's actually what's ha- exactly what's happening. Somebody write vote Trump on a wall, and then there's a big flash, and everyone freaks out because they're like, this isn't this university doesn't support that kind of viewpoint. So the two sides here are ultimately. I mean, in terms of the argument, are, are people are saying, well, wait a minute, a university is a place for open inquiry and different opinions, and that's why you go to college, just so that you can face different viewpoints. And we believe in freedom of speech. But on the other hand, you have these students who are saying, no, I want the university to be a safe space for me and a place that's free from any kind of real or perceived oppression in any way, whether it be physical or uh, emotional or anything like that. And so there, those, those things have come at odds Different universities, as Greg's pointed out, have responded different ways. What's interesting is University of Missouri responded by capitulation. Ohio State University has decided to say, no, we're not playing that game. And so it's an interesting change. I want to know, which side are you on? Kyle, you you are the Ohio State University or University of Missouri? Uh, well, this doesn't mean that there aren't things to talk about, but the the first question is, how do you go about talking about those things? So it's not to say that there aren't issues that should be addressed and need to be addressed um, within any kind of community and on college campuses and within any kind of culture. But the, the, the broader question is, how do you, when you do have a question, you do have a problem, we do see some form of injustice, how do you go about um, trying to make that right? Mm-hmm. And how... What means do you employ in order to raise that question, raise that issue, in order to get people um, discussing it, in order that it can be, you know, corrected in some way? So how is this not just plain civil disobedience? Isn't that what they're doing? Are they just engaging in the same kind of activities that Martin Luther King Jr. and, and others did? If you're walking, you know, you're just going to march on the campus and you're going to create a safe space in the middle and these sorts of things? Silence. I'm asking oh, you. Oh, asking me. Yeah. Um, there is a there is a place for civil disobedience, I think, and to uh, to advocate the justice that God wants us to to be advocating for, and to speak for those who don't have a voice. There is a place to to talk about those issues. Uh, but the question is, do you within the college campus do you um, take over part of the the property in order to have that safe space? Uh, or do you bring those – in the Ohio State case, they weren't saying we don't want to ever talk to you about any any of your concerns. It's just when you're here occupying this building, the people that work here as employees of the school, they don't feel safe. Mm. So by you, you're seeking you know, to have your voice heard, you're actually creating an unsafe place for other people within our, our mm. broader community. So in order to try to keep this as safe of a place as we can, uh, we're going to honor the rights of the people who don't feel safe because they work here and they've left because they, there's this big protest that has come in. Uh, so in, in order to do that, we're going to abide by the code of conduct that you you know knew about and signed when you became a student here, and we're going to go through the the due uh, process of of you know talking about these things openly. Doesn't this raise though the question of just how convinced are you of this injustice? I mean, at the end of the day, if they're if they're really convinced of this injustice, they can go to jail for it. And many people in the past did go to jail 
for their convictions and their their beliefs of standing up against what they be- believed was wrong. And I think that I think in many ways it challenges those that are doing the sit-in to think, okay, is this the best way to go about this, or, or are there other means? Um, mm-hmm. And is this a, one of those where I need to I need to go to jail for this? So can I ask, I'll ask you the broader question? We've talked about this before, I think once or twice in the last maybe mm-hmm. even year on the podcast. But uh, the broader question I have is: you, Can you give me a biblical defense for civil disobedience? So are there are there moments? Because I I can give you we're supposed to obey the government Romans thirteen. We're supposed to obey the government and its laws. So that's part of what it means to be a Christian. So what but what you so so here you have people in university and let's not say they they're they've committed themselves to be part of an institution, signed on to that institution, uh, and agreed to adhere to certain rules and now they're breaking mm-hmm. those rules. Why why should why is that okay? As far as like a biblical defense, I mean, isn't, isn't, isn't the Christian thing to do to just do what the university administration says? Isn't the Christian thing to do to obey your leaders? Isn't that that's Christian, right? Yes, but that doesn't take into account that we don't only have one authority over us. I mean, the authorities of the government is is one authority, but there is a higher authority in God who is over even the political authority that is over. So we're, we're kind of in tension because we live in two kingdoms. We're in the kingdom of of Christ. And we should obey and honor him. And we're also in the kingdom of Canada. Is it a king? I can't. Don't know if well, kingdom I mean, is, is the best way. But the Egyptian midwives is a great example. Um, you know, they were the Egyptian slaves. Uh, beginning parts of the Exodus account, they were becoming too numerous. So, like, oh, what's one? What's one way we can control the population of the Egyptians? These slaves that we've, you know, harnessed for their uh, their their might as we build our pyramids and other things. Well, they're getting too pop too too populated. So if they are too too numerous, they might take over. So we'll just you know kill their babies as they're born. The Pharaoh commanded that. Yeah, and so the Egyptian midwives they had a choice. They were going to honor God and the idea that all life is sacred because it's a gift from God, or they're going to honor the the governing authority over them in Pharaoh. And they um, they had actually a creative way to go about it. They said, you know what. These uh, these these Jewish women, um, th- th- they have babies so quick. We're not there in time to to mm. to, to honor Pharaoh. So they're they're probably lying, but they're they're subverting it's the, a sanctified the government. lie. They're sub they're subverting the the mm-hmm. the unjust, yeah. the greatly unjust um, political authority in order to honor the greater so uh, spiritual authority. Of can God. we principalize that then? Do we say then th- that we we uh we are bound by the authority of those directly above us, both in work and in other work and in, I mean, we're all in submission and authority relationships, right? But we're bound in those relationships unless what the person is asking us to do is expressly or commanding us to do is expressly against what God calls us to do. Now, and that's the point when Andy, what you were raising a minute ago, like that's the point at which you have to be very careful because it's very easy for us to justify our own opinions and say, well, that's what God, God doesn't want me to do thus and so. When the truth is, well, I don't know. You know, you're not going to throw a fit because they decided to take, give you a, 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 a test at your college and you think tests are wrong. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Don't you think a Daniel's a good example of this? Where there were certain things that 
that the Jews capitulated to in captivity of Babylon, and then there are others that they said no, and right. they were willing to die for those beliefs. Yeah, they were. So my question then, I think, is do you think that what's going on in college campuses in the U.S. especially these days, is that is this a good example then? I mean, as Christians, how do we approach this? Uh, should we be should we because most of the, most of what's going on is being driven by a group called Black Lives Matter, and their argument, uh, and this is a very very broad stroke, but their argument is that there's institutional racism in the United States, and that means that uh, you know the way that the way that the the school system works, the way the classes work, what they expect of students is all uh, is all white. Basically, Can, I'll give you a good, good example of this. I don't know if you guys know. I, I don't know if I talked about this on a podcast or not, but the debate, there was a debate, um, the national debate, national collegiate debate in the United States this year was won by two uh, African-American uh, students. One of them, I'm looking over at Pucci here, one of them was a lesbian, I think, and the other one was, was, was not. But the argument that both of them made was actually that they they would they would uh, were arguing against the nature of the debate itself. So when every time they go into debate, the way the debate works is that you have uh, you 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 are you are appointed to one side or another. You're either for the proposition or against the proposition, and then you may, and you marshal your arguments for or against the proposition that everyone agreed upon beforehand. You know, proposed that Kyle is the smartest person in the room. Well, you're for it. I'm against it. Here's our arguments, and then you'll marshal your your evidence. And usually, they usually they they judge the debate based upon the both the argument and the delivery of the argument. Right? Who wins? Um, these guys would come in, and they wouldn't even take a side. So they might be appointed the the you know the the negative to you know, they're against the proposition, but they didn't even argue that. They just argued that the entire debate itself was racist because it was white and privileged and the the way that the arguments were formed was always it was only it was only white arguments and the fact that you're not allowed to use any any swear words is white and racist uh, because that's not the kind of way that they would talk if they were in the in their minority communities. Uh, and so every time somebody would say something, you know, would marshal an argument on the other side, they would just start calling the names stuff. They actually this won. This is ad hominem. Yeah, they won the debate. They won the national debate using this tactic in the end because the the debate because the people who are who are uh, judging the debates couldn't come up with a reason to say, well, you're wrong that yeah, the whole the whole way we do debate and argumentation is white, and and so you're right, and so you guys win. So that's essentially what it ended that up happening. More like so, anyways, fear. it's an example. My point is, it's it's an example of what of what the Black Lives Matters group is trying to argue <laughs> is that is that there that the, what we learn, the way we learn, all this stuff is influenced by white culture, and it's not sufficiently. Uh, it doesn't give sufficient attention to minority voices. Whether they be gay, lesbian, transgender, uh, black, uh, Asian, what, what, it doesn't matter. And so, this is their argument, and the reason that they're that they're having these sit-ins is they're talking about microaggressions, meaning that there are these uh, there are these unintentional uh, things that are said, or you know, like oh, you're Asian, so you might you you're good at math, right? That kind of thing is seen as a microaggression, 
because, well, not every Asian is good at math. It's just a stereotype, and it's very much, it's like the beginning stages of racism. Do you see what I'm saying? So as a result, this is what they're fighting back against. So what I'm asking you guys is, is this a legitimate reason to, to do the Hebrew midwife move, or is it not? I, I mean, I think there's a few things going on here. There is the there's the the matter at hand that that should be talked about the fact that racism is still a thing that people experience and that people treat others racist like people are racist towards others still there are still people are still treated awfully because of uh uh sexual orientation and, and other um reasons so there there's the there's the thing at hand of people are still being treated awfully and people shouldn't be treated that way because they're made in God's image. So I just don't want it to be conflated. The argument or the conversation to seem like we're saying that there aren't things to fight for, but the, the, I think the topic we're getting at is the, the manner in which you do it. Because I, I do think that where there are cases where it is, seems like there's systemic racism that that should be fought. The now, question can, is, is how, and if but, there's systemic bullying, if we're all agreed that there's systemic racism, that that the institutions that we form, sin, sinners form sinful institutions. Mm-hmm. That's what, that we embed in in our creations, right? In our culture, we embed our sinful mm-hmm. humanity in them. So, so I don't want to separate the the personal sin, mm-hmm. right, from the institutions. But when it becomes an institutional level, it becomes something that's just accepted. And so this is this is the positive point that they're pointing out. It's mm-hmm. saying, look, there are certain racial you 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 are you are benefited by being white and male mm-hmm. in many of the in many of the assumptions that go into modern education and and these sorts of things and. They're trying to point that out that that's not that's not right. My, the, I hear you saying, Greg, that but but holding people hostage is not the way to go about that. Right. I, I think the temptation could be that they're not holding that, that literally. I, yeah, sorry, yeah. it sounds like I'm saying they literally holding people hostage. They're not. No. They're they're actually de- they're actually demanding. Their demands are quite remarkable, quite strong. That forcing everybody to adhere to their particular viewpoints. Anyway, sorry. No, I was just going to say that the temptation could be that in the midst of the frustration over the way in which people are handling these issues, we could get into a baby bathwater thing, where we we stop caring about the issues at hand because of the way the issues are being addressed and the way that they're being handled or mishandled. So, I. So that was just a, a nuance in, in the conversation. I feel like I derailed it a little bit. But the r- initial question was, are these things that they're fighting for worth the, the Hebrew midwife approach? Here's my challenge to that answering that question. Uh, growing up on the West Coast, growing up in Portland, I, I saw virtually no racism growing up, going to high school in Portland. Says, says the white now male. that now that's the challenge, isn't it? I, I'm a white male, so can you even see the racism? Um, like, but wouldn't you agree though that there are different areas in the United States that seem to have a higher degree of racism than others? Right. Like we don't on the West Coast, we don't have that 
history that you would have, say, in the South. Right. And so that's where, for me, I find it difficult because I go, I watch what's happening in the U.S. and I go, well, I just don't know the degree of racism that they're experiencing. I, I think that I think that if you if you grew up though in a situation where every time you walked into a store. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were wearing a hoodie, maybe not with your hood up, but you were wearing a hoodie and maybe you weren't dressed really well. You walked into a store and you were watched and mm. followed. Mm. Uh, maybe not aggressively followed, but just quietly followed around the corners and looked at. And every time you went into a store, every time you drove through a particular part of town, you you know, the, the police would take note of you. Like, I, I think that at, this is what they're talking about. And I think this is a very appropriate thing to say is that 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 happens it happens a lot to Mm -hmm. to african-american people to i mean if ezra here unfortunately he's not today but like ezra has had this situation in our town and other places that he just everywhere he goes Mm -hmm. there's there's just a a look upon him so this is this is what we're talking about here is that i don't feel that because when i go into a store it's like man i'm just i'm a white guy Mm -hmm. right but I think about this from my wife's point of view. Like, I if I, I'm happy to go for a walk down in, uh, in in any part of our town alone, like it doesn't bother me. I'm not concerned about anything. But my wife will not think that way. Women will not think that way at all. They'll be like, okay, so if I go for a walk in this particular location, there's a chance for sexual abuse. There's a chance that I'm going to actually be uh, attacked if I go into this quiet thing. thing. That's what they're talking about, and and that's the stuff that I'm like, yeah, that actually is, that's wicked, it's sinful, it's institutional, mm-hmm. and it's something that should be fought back against. How you fight back against it's the challenge. That's where I see mm-hmm. the I right. see what they're trying to say, and I can I value it. It's just trying to figure out. But again, what does don't it look you think like the level against it? is significant here? I mean, we would all agree that racism is taking place, and those things take those things those things are taking place. But the it would seem to me that it's the level that it's taking place would correspond to the to the level of engagement that's going to be required on your part. I mean, we live in a broken, messed up world, so you're always going to have racism. You, you're, you are. you're always going to have these aggressions. So, I mean, what are we looking for? Are we looking for perfection as a society? Or are we looking for a, you know, a reasonable level? That's, that's what I'm getting at. I mean, I think, sorry to cut you off, I think the, to tie in Bodie McBoatface into this a little bit, I, I think part of the issue is the assumption that w- that we all start not just morally neutral, but morally right. And then we just make bad decisions or we implement bad strategies. But if we could just structure things better, then we're going to be in a better spot because we're all basically good. We're not going to mess up the Bodie McBoatface thing. We're going to give serious answers because people are generally good. And when you have that as your starting point, that people are, are inherently good and will do good things as long as they're educated and given opportunities to do so, then I think you are looking for perfection. I think you are, that that is the goal, the here and the now, is to see the, everything change so that we could be who we actually are intended to be, which is the good people that were born. I, the problem with it, that it differs with the Christian worldview, is that we know we're born into sin and we need a radical transformation to be restored to where we were before sin. So the Christian response, at least at one level, is to say that this this should this ought not be, right? See, that's what I'm saying here is that is that the Christian response is we should all agree that it ought not be the case that my Absolutely. wife or any woman 
should feel in any way threatened at any point ever about her personal space or things like that. She should never feel threatened that way. That any any African American, speaking of that, but but African or Black or Indo Canadian or I don't you name it, they should never feel like they are put in a position that they are labeled as being dangerous just because of the color of their skin ever or because of what they wear on their head. That's, that's not the world that Christ wants. Mm. We agree. We all agree on that. So that's one thing that we as Christians, we hold to. The second thing we hold to is that we live in a world that's precisely that way because of human sin. Mm-hmm. And, because, because, and, and the problem is us. And, be, and that we also hold, thirdly, that the gospel is the solution to this problem, right? Where Jew and Gentile are made one, right? That, we, that racism sure. has no place in there. Sexism has no place in the gospel, right? Uh, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. So all of these things we, we hold to be true. The question I have is, as Christians, what do we, how, how do we go about bringing that viewpoint, our, our, our understanding of the way the world ought to be, how do we go about bringing that viewpoint into reality in, in this fallen world? Is, is, it, is, is, is it good for us to be doing this kind of like Black Lives Matter stuff the, on the, college the campuses, and, yeah. or, or yeah. should we be working through the, the institutions themselves, or that sort of thing? Kyle, what say you? These are really complex questions because if, if you're Tom Hanks living on the island and Castaway, you only have yourself to worry about. But as soon as you get two people involved, then you're going to have discussion and, and differences on, on, on things. Um, you know, it's easy as, as from a Christian perspective, when Christians are the minority culture within, you know, subculture within a larger culture, it's easy for that Christian minority culture to, to you know, notice and, and, and point out inconsistencies. Um, as a minority group when Christians were minority groups, but when Christians have the majority say in some cultures or a larger say, um, they still need to have those things pointed out by the minority cultures of, of where, where things are wrong and, and unjust. Um, so I guess my hope is the the trajectory that things go on and to keep things that Greg, you, and, and Jeff have, have mentioned um, about the gospel and about um, about noticing these things and about trying to bring some some type of betterment um, to the situation. We won't make things perfect, but we can definitely make things better. Right. So we should, yeah, we should be pushing for a better world, and we can discuss how that happens. I will also say on the flip side of this, there is there is an argument to be made. That when it comes to some of these things about microaggressions and things, though, there really does need to be a word given that that as Christians, we, we also are people of grace. And we recognize that sometimes people make comments. When I was in New I'll, I'll give you an example. Sometimes when people make comments, they don't intend them quite the way that they, that they, that you think that they do. So when I was in New Zealand, people would make comments about Americans. <laughs> it's hard to believe, I know. <laughs> but they would make comments about Americans Directed and toward they you. would well they would end up labeling they would end up labeling me with that what they perceived to be true of Americans and then you know like 3 years later they'd say you're not at all like the Americans I thought you would be that the kind stereotype. of stereotype and we my wife and I got to the point where we realized that yeah some people are going to actually have 
viewpoints about my culture, my background, and me personally, based upon their ex- previous experiences or the media or whatever it is. And at the front edge, you know, the, j- you have to give them a little space because they're just, they're ignorant in little ways, right? But it's not really their fault in the end. They're just, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, this happens all the time. So we just need to be gracious people in terms of understanding that that a lot there's a lot of times people don't understand how they're coming off and that if it becomes a pattern then it's something that you can address but ultimately when it comes to some of these microaggressions the mature way to handle this sort of thing as Christians is for us to say look I'm going to give you space to even err I think you're wrong about that but I'm going to give you space to be in error at that point until a later date where you can actually grow and understand a little bit more about the world and you know you know what I'm saying? This is the way I deal with my kids. Sometimes what they say at they're fifteen years old or thirteen years old, you're like, Okay, that's dumb. But you don't tell them that's just ridiculously dumb because it's just it's where they are right now. And they they'll grow. Don't you think there's another aspect too about Christian Christianity that I think is essential in our culture today? And that's consistency. <coughs> Uh, having a consistent worldview. I mean, because take, for example, what happened on the campus where they're doing a sit-in, and then here you got a professor asking for some muscle to come in, mm-hmm. right? Or take, for example, you got um, Black Lives Matter. I mean, as Christians, don't we think all lives matter? One of, the, one of the things that just killed me with that whole Black Lives Matter was when Planned Parenthood hashtagged out during Ferguson, you know, their support and that Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. However, the vast majority of abortion clinics are in poor black communities yeah. and and in fact they're the ones who have the vast majority well, margaret of the, sanger the well, the founder of it was i'm right about that sanger was the planned parenthood founder she right. was a, a noted racist <laughs> for but, and she was yeah. and she was heavily involved in eugenics yeah but and that that's what i'm i mean that that's what kills me with our culture right with right. especially when we it's the politically correct thing to do, right? This is the popular thing to do, and kind of everybody gets behind it. You know, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to stand for. And there's zero consistency, in right? The and the very idea that a university, which is supposed to be known for free in, free inquiry, is closing down the lines of inquiry inquiry is is troublesome. That's 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 the great hypocrisy in it. Mm. But you know, we as Christians, we recognize the hypocrisy and see it in ourselves, and we, again give it a little bit of grace and try to hear what people are trying to say. And, you know, even though they're saying it in hypocritical ways, we want to embrace the good pit, good pieces and, and reject the bad, mm. uh, which is sometimes is hard because you want to point out the hypocrisy. I do anyway. I want to say, you do realize how hypocritical you are, right? <laughs> About this. So, All right, gentlemen. Thanks for your contributions. Instead of the other topics we have written down as uh, questions for the episode, they're all they're all going to take more time than I think we were wanting to invest in this episode. Jeff's fading away. What? Is it it DayQuil? Is that what you're on? Yeah. Yeah. I'm on DayQuil, which affects me a little bit like NyQuil. Yeah? Yeah. (laughs) Was it a blue or was it the, like, was it like... I got the the, orange one to me, but the... the, Are you in the Matrix? I've actually taken the blue ones before, the little blue pills. Yeah, the... And if I do that, then it is not good. No. Oh, I sleep well, but then the next day I feel like, I f- uh, dude, I yeah, I don't. I've I've never really taken much medication in my life, and so when I do, it affects me in the worst way. Mm. Yeah, I always thought that it would be a good joke for someone to play, to lace something I have with codeine, because then wow. I'd be out. 
But yeah. I'm not saying you should do that. No, that's probably not a good thing to throw out just into the internet. No, totally. Yeah. Well, I'm going to watch my food from now on. You should. Hey, guys, thanks for uh, spending some time chatting with us. If you have questions you want us to talk about on the Extra podcast, you should send those into extra at northview.org. Our question curator, Poochie, the silent producer, will go through them and send them to us. So thank you for listening. And we will see you at church on the weekend.